welcome to the weekly review with Roman. It's Friday, September September sixteenth, two thousand sixteen. Already, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we're coming at you from Mutiny Radio in the Mission District here in San Francisco. Have an awesome show today. Uh, Shane Brody will be calling in at 12.30, and many folks may be familiar with Shane. Shane staged a one-person protest after the <sighs> those Trump statues were replaced in the Castro and around the country. And many, 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 many of us were like, all right, yeah, the, even mentioning Trump's, even mentioning his name is, like, gross. Like, ew, why? It's going to, like send me down a whole spiral if I even think about him on this planet and his father on this planet and all the destruction that they've caused and the fact that they're still here that's really a problem should have been stopped a long time ago anyway so some so-called anarchists giving a bad name to anarchists in my opinion created these statues that were really just body shaming and not at all talking about the really problematic things that he's done and said and it felt like this very um, kind of sophomoric attack on him that didn't really, you know, lead the conversation anywhere. It didn't really, it was just, if anything, I think it hurt, it just offended people who are also offended by Trump. So didn't really do much in the service of anything. So this awesome dude, Shane Brody, was like, uh, I'm going to stage a one-person protest in response to these these statues and he did, and it was awesome. So he's going to be calling in to talk about that at 12.30. So very much looking forward to that. And Shane was also on another podcast called The Fat Lip, um, which you can check out, and that was really good. I listened to that yesterday and talked more about his experience with that. And just there's a lot of great things to d- discover and to discuss. So looking forward to talking to him about that. So start off the show with some feminist punk and that will be the theme of the show as i choose the music there's always more need for feminist punk so um a friend of mine megan had posted an article from pitchfork about feminist punk songs that everyone should know and like so i was kind of going through it all and i only knew very few of them so the other ones i was like really getting into so uh, the first song played is a band called fifth column with she said boom then a song by the bags with survive and then uh, Kleenex Lilliput with Hitchhike. And initially, I usually just start the show with one or two songs. Um, I've been kind of slow getting my stuff going this morning. And uh, <laughs> I have coffee and water that I bring with me. And it's on the other side of the studio, not very far. And I put on another extra song so I'd have time to get it. And in doing so, I was distracted and did other things. So uh, I'll be picking picking up those beverages you know, whenever, whenever I feel like getting up <laughs> and going there so I can be caffeinated and awake and animated for all of you listeners. So, yes, we'll be talking to Shane at 1230. Before then, we'll be t- covering some news and current events because, ugh, kind of have to, though. We have to talk about what's happening. We don't have to, but I figure might as well talk about it, and then it feels a lot less scary um, uh, to at least understand what's happening and to put a name to it and also just to give credit to all the people who are fighting the good fight out there. And, of course, I'm talking a lot about uh, the, the pipeline uh, happening in, in North Dakota. Uh, May, like, thousands of people have been out there um, from all over who have come to, uh, to protest, and people have been arrested. Uh, the National Guard was called because... Uh, people in power I think are I won't I won't call them babies because that's an insult to babies because babies don't know any better I think a lot of people in power they like to lie they like to keep control 
and they use violent tactics. And I've been doing that for a long time, and that's really sad. So that's what they've been doing. They've been arresting people. They've been sicking. They've been hiring people. They don't even do it themselves, though. They hire people to do it. They hire police. They hire. They get the National Guard to come in. They get people from private security firms with dogs, with pepper spray, to uh, attack people who are merely just trying to say, um, this is the earth. Why don't we try not to poison it? This is the earth. Let's not build a pipeline because the oil spills and then it poisons the water. And there are burial grounds. There's like so many reasons why this shouldn't be happening. And the people in power who are greedy and or just don't know any better or don't want to listen, they are insisting on doing what they've been doing. And they're harming people in the process. And they're harming the earth. The earth, I don't want to say it's a, it's not a lost cause at all, but it's been damaged to the point almost of disrepair and that is so unsettling and so frustrating so uh, so i'm going to talk a little bit about that before shane calls in at 12:30, and also play a clip that there's um, journalists have also been arrested so you know uh, i mean it's just uh, i'm gonna breathe i'm gonna be calm about it although it's enraging it really is enraging and of course this is just one one example of what's been happening for a very long time here and in other places too where people in power they can't stand the idea of people actually standing up for themselves and standing up for the planet and working together and working collaboratively so then they have to start stopping because they got to make their money gross so uh, unicorn riot it's a website question mark um, I find news information from them. A couple of their, their journalists were arrested. They put together a video that explains it, and they also have like a video of the pipeline itself, so it's a visual. And if you would like to see the visual, you can check out the Weekly Review Facebook page. I know Facebook is kind of evil, and I don't like a lot of things that they're doing, including they're censoring uh, news coverage from the pipeline. So it's like, ugh, it's, ugh, you know, super problematic. And also, I, I haven't... And I get that I use it, so how complicit am I with using this platform that I have a lot of issues with, and the advertising and the censorship and the, the, name, the name policies and people not, still not getting the names that they want on Facebook, um, and then also selling the, the information to, like, gr- gross. It's, it's super gross. I will say, since we are not that far from General Hospital, which I will still refer to as SF General, for folks not in the Bay Area, uh, there's SF General. It's a big hospital and Mark Zuckerberg donated money to it and insisted that they rename it after him because that's what donations should be about, right? You donate money, and then you insist that they name the hospitals after you, right? Gross. All right, got that out of my system. So I'm going to play a short video that has some more information about the pipeline, and then I'm going to read a story about it. Here's the story from Unicorn Riot. And, um, yeah, I'm going to make sure the music's uh, off. And here we go. The Dakota Access Pipeline is being built by Energy Transfer Partners, a large corporation connected to petroleum giants such as Sunoco and Enbridge, funded by financial interests including Goldman Sachs and TD Bank. Energy Transfer Partners is also a major contributor to the campaigns of congressmen who insist that climate change is a fraud. The pipeline is being constructed to help move the excessive supply of oil produced by fracking in the Bakken Shale. And despite rhetoric about American energy independence, this pipeline will be used to move fracked oil for export to foreign markets. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe has repeatedly said they do not consent to the construction of this pipeline, which threatens their ancestral lands and sacred water. 
yet permitting and construction has been repeatedly pushed through in an attempt to meet its expected November start date. Despite the recent intervention by the Army Corps of Engineers and Department of Justice to temporarily halt pipeline construction within a 20-mile radius of Lake Oahe, here we see fresh pipe being laid as Energy Transfer Partners is determined to get as much of Dakota access into the ground as soon as possible. Indigenous water defenders and their allies remain determined to permanently halt work on this pipeline, and we expect direct actions to continue indefinitely. Okay, so that was a pretty good summary of what's been happening, and thank you to all the journalists and everyone out there um, for covering it and for sharing that information. Why is it important to share information? Because some people don't like the information to be shared. We've known this for a long time. Well, I guess the folks, I shouldn't say everyone. I can't make assumptions. I can. Uh, anyway, there's a story on anti-media that I'm going to share with everyone. You can check it out at antimedia.org. And if you'd like to see more news stories that I post, check out facebook.com slash weekly rev. Post a lot of news articles that I find out through activists and reliable sources. So breaking. Riot police begin mass arrests at Dakota Access Pipeline. Facebook censors video. Boo. And this came out on September 13th, 2016, and was written by Nick Burnaby. North Dakota. It didn't take long after the National Guard was activated in North Dakota for militarized law enforcement to descend upon the site of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Today, mass arrests began as riot-gear-clad police attempted to break up Native American opposition to the construction of the pipeline, which has been halted at one location but continues elsewhere. According to independent news outlet Unicorn Riot, at least 20 protesters or water protectors have been arrested at gunpoint, along with medics and two journalists. Police issued a one-time warning to water protectors that any trespassers would be arrested. The warning came after several people locked themselves to construction equipment in acts of civil disobedience on Tuesday. They have a video here breaking around 20 people have been arrested at the site of the no DAPL lockdown, including medics and two unicorn riot journalists. Police have shut down all road access to the site and are carrying assault rifles and less lethal weapons. And there's a video here. I'm going to see if we can get some audio and have that play. And as that's loading, I will, oh, the, okay, I'm not going to do that at the moment. So moving along, uh, Unicorn Riot, which has been broadcasting live video of the tense standoff in North Dakota, says Facebook has been censoring their link from livestream.com. And Unicorn Riot says, we are now live and having connection issues. At the same time, Facebook has blocked our live stream URL of today's ongoing action at hashtag no DAPL. And they have full coverage at Unicorn Riot. Uh, dot ninja and they say please visit and share our live page from our website which is www.unicornriot.ninja and then they said they'll be live again as soon as possible commenters on their facebook page were also complaining they could not share the video screenshots posted by page followers show facebook blocked the link and the the warning that facebook has uh shown is we you can't post this because it has a blocked link the content you're trying to share includes a link that our security systems detected to be unsafe. Well, what's more unsafe than poisoning our water? Fucking assholes. All right. Gross. Super gross. Um, update. Uh, a Unicorn Riot Collective member confirmed to Antimedia via email that Facebook was blocking the video link with its automated censorship system. Ugh, gross. At a critical moment, 
of our coverage of a Dakota Access Pipeline Direct Action Today. Facebook's automated censorship system blocked our video URL shortly before two of our journalists were arrested on site. As we started to cover today's direct action, our collective members immediately noticed that the full live stream event URL, which is livestream.com slash forward slash, I should say, unicorn riot forward slash events forward slash 6340986 was being blocked from Facebook. Posts and comments with the URL both immediately triggered pop-up security alerts. We tried putting the same URL through bit.ly, shortening that shortening and that official Unicorn Right page was deleted by Facebook within a few minutes. Finally, we went with sharing our live channel URL on our own website, which had the embed, uh, which had the embed included on it. We also verified that the Facebook debugger warned that our live video URL violated community standards. Both Facebook and law enforcement acted to block our media distribution today, but we will not let them stop our mission to amplify the voices of people who might otherwise go unheard and broadcast the stories that might otherwise go untold. Also, as one member of the collective, I should point, I should point out it is obviously concerning when a large media conglomerate blocks URLs to competing video platforms. Unicorn Riot reports that they believed to be a surveillance plane was seen patrolling the protest site. Anti-media has reached out to Morton County Sheriff's Department for comment and will update the story should they respond. Ugh. And um, so this article is a free and open source. And they say you have permission to republish the article under a Creative Commons license um, with a Attribution to Nick Burnaby and the Antimedia.org, Antimedia Radio. Uh, they have a show. I'll, I'll plug it. Antimedia Radio airs weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. So, again, you can check out ant the Antimedia.org for more information. And thanks to all the folks out there doing, doing what they're doing and reporting on it. And that's what I try to do here is to uh, just spread the message because the news is censored. Gross. I guess that's the word of the day. It's not a, it's a, not a very... Uh, fancy word, but that's kind of describing how I'm feeling right now when I think about what's happening and what's been happening, because it's just, it's not anything new. It's not anything new. And uh, Facebook, shame. Shame, shame, shame. All right, so I'm going to play some more music, and then we'll be talking to Shane momentarily.
us we were girls, and we talked, dressed, looked, and cried. They told us we were girls, so we claimed our female lives. Now they tell us we are girls, our femininity doesn't fit. We're fucking future girls, living outside society. Welcome back to the Weekly Review. Uh, Roman here, and on the phone we have Shane Brody. Shane, thank you so much for calling in. Yes, uh, you know, thank you for having me on your your radio program. I've never been on the radio. It's uh, nerve-wracking and pretty exciting. Oh, well, we're, we're very lucky to have you. And, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I was really inspired when I... Uh, saw what what you what you were doing, and I think many of us are, especially. Um, I can only speak for myself, but as a as a trans man, uh, there's, I think there's a lot that I definitely hold in, and uh, a lot of, I guess, anger and frustration with society, and to see someone uh, step up and do something, uh, I thought just took a lot of courage, and I was very where, very grateful for that. Where did you see uh, mention of my protest, by the way? It was on Facebook. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it yeah, was on... I've been uh, I've been trying to do a lot of things on Facebook um, before this, uh, you know, before like three and a half or so weeks ago. I um, pretty much just had like four uh, forty people on my Facebook. It was just people that 
you know, were just kind of in my daily life, you know, in my volunteer activities and old friends, yeah. were, you know, across the country and stuff. And since then, <laughs> I've just, you know, added like 2,000 people. Wow. Yes. And, you know, I've been trying to put up the video of my protest that someone was very kind to take of, you know, of me and photos and that sort of thing and just trying to get my message out. And, you know, not so much um, towards big media, but towards just people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like um, I mean, I, I'm definitely courting big media just because I think, you know, an equal response. Um, my my response is important, and it hasn't it hasn't received a lot of media attention. Whereas the Trump statues and the spectacle around them have definitely received a lot of attention. Yes, yeah. So, so I'm just trying to get my message out, basically just to people, right? So that they can see that you know we don't have to take this, basically. Right, which is so inspiring. Cause I feel like. A lot of us feel very um, upset and afraid just with the impending idea that this could have, you know, that there could be, that even the fact that he's gotten this far and even talking about it, it's like, why are we, why are we even talking about it? Like the fact that we live in this reality feels really disturbing. So the idea yeah. of people kind of stepping up and saying we don't have to take this and there's also right. ways to advance the conversation is really great. Right. And, you know, it's cool too because we can all each do something. Yeah. You know, it's not like, I'm not some fancy person. I'm not some person who has been a political activist for a long time. I did a lot of political activism when I was younger, but I've lived more of a quiet life recently. And so I'm not, you know, well-connected. You know, I don't know all the language around things and, and all that sort of thing. But I just felt like I personally needed to do something. Yeah. So I just kind of went and did it. Yeah. You know, and there's also famous people who are taking responsibility upon themselves to do things like Colin Kaepernick. Yes, uh, Kaepernick. yes. Like, that is one of the most beautiful protests that I've seen in a long time. Absolutely. You know, it's quiet, it's powerful, and it's reaching people. Yes, and it's been great to see the other players, um, not just in the NFL, but in other athletes, and then also, like, the college, and then also high school athletes um take on that so it's really spreading oh, really? which is beautiful yeah awesome. yeah awesome. yeah it's you know it takes one person and then i mean people have been doing that for a while but the um i was talking to my dad about this um and in the 60s you know he was saying a lot you know folks didn't stand up for the national anthem so of course i think i think but i think for some for maybe for this generation we're not used to seeing it so it's really right. awesome that it's being brought back right especially so, uh, with someone who's so popular yes you know it really you know white people can't just ignore that yes you know and white people are the people who really need to listen absolutely absolutely oh yeah i think there's a i mean the conversation you know it's like a converse it's beyond a conversation that needs to be had and a lot of folks would rather you know blame the messenger or pretend it's not happening and i think that's been going on for a really long time a painfully long time yeah, I'm lucky with my situation. It's my situation. It's it's almost so quiet that I haven't gotten a lot of reaction. Yeah. But luckily, it's kind of filtered through on social media a lot, and um, and of course, you know, the East Bay Express did a really nice job on an article uh, with me, which was really sweet of them. Um, Sarah, uh, Sarah Burke, who's the editor. Um, interviewed me and it's the first time I'd ever you know had any kind of interview before so 
so I was really, really nervous. And um, she was just really lovely. And I thought it was really brave of her to put an actual nude picture of me mm-hmm. up with the story. Yeah. I mean, that is brave. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it's to the point of my story, really, that, you know, I want to normalize what my body looks like. Right, right. It's who I am. Yeah. That's that's the thing is that in our culture where it's we've been taught to be ashamed of our bodies and to be ashamed of sexuality so much that I feel like repression is the norm, right? And it's like oh, but we all we're all naked, you know? We all came into the world like the idea that something so natural is thought of to be so deviant or wrong or illegal, which is a whole other you know right. conversation we can have, right. is just right. so yeah, that's, ridiculous. That's something, isn't it? Um, I. Yeah, it's interesting because I was very afraid to do my protest. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not somebody who, you know, goes out to our lovely street fairs and uh, gay pride or, you know, the the marvelous um, bike rides and marathons that we have or, or even the beaches where we have, where we celebrate nudity. Yeah. Right? That's not me. But I love that it's part of the city. Yeah. I mean, it's really a part of our culture that we have moved past shame about bodies We've moved past shame about sexuality, and we really lead the country in that. When people from around the world um, look at us, they're like, you guys are crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the tourists that were in the Castro, uh, they kept coming up to me, you know, people from all over the world, Ireland and Germany, Brazil, uh, India, Japan, all over, people from all over were coming up to me, not hesitant at all. Americans were much more hesitant. And they were, these tourists were so um, interested in what I was doing, they had no idea that I was protesting the message around the statues at all. Yes. And then when they found out, they were just ecstatic. Yeah. They were ecstatic that I was doing it. Yeah. I find it often, it often takes folks who, who, aren't used to I feel like it's growing up in the in the states it's brainwashing is pretty common and I'm sure in a lot of areas like just brainwashing is is common and a lot of things um I don't know I feel like it's I haven't questioned or many folks don't don't question and so it takes people from who don't grow up with that to kind of come in and recognize uh, or to kind of call it out if, if that makes sense right right and you know what was interesting too some of the most shy people that I could probably ever meet, uh, these young women from Japan, actually were taking selfies with me. Mm. They were like, you know, they had their hands up to their mouths and they were like kind of giggling and stuff, you know. And But it was so great because they were so open to it. And yeah. then they didn't quite understand what I was doing at first, but then I had a really long conversation with them afterwards and they were like, wow, that's really great. Yeah. So, yeah, even very shy young women were like, "You're told you're you're doing something good." So, yeah, um, yeah, you know the the whole thing about nudity in the Castro too. The, a few of the nu- the the regular nudists, uh, gay male nudists, who are usually out there, mm-hmm. um, they also visited me, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of a kind of some camaraderie there. Yeah. Um, they usually put uh, some tape or some socks around their um, testicles and around their penises and that sort of thing. Uh, one of the things about my protest, though, is that I had no genitalia that was actually sticking out. Yes, yes. Right, because I'm a trans person who has chosen to not have um, 
genital surgery. Yes. Um, I've had a hysterectomy. I've had chef surgery. I've been on testosterone for almost 17 years. You know, I'm done. I'm cooked. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with my body, and I love my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people do choose surgery, and that's, that's great for them. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I don't. So I have nothing that's really sticking out. Yeah. And in fact, that area of my body has quite a bit of fat around it. Mm-hmm. And um, so when the police came, the police came on the second day that I was out there. I was out there four different times, about three hours each, um, mostly on the weekend. But uh, this particular day was a Monday, so it was kind of quiet, and uh, there were less tourists. There was less of the festivity, the, the festive feel that the Castro can have. So the police came at some point. It, that was kind of a long ordeal. Um, but... I really questioned the police at some point about, well, how can I comply with you? Because mm. uh, from, from what I understand, it has to be something that's sort of external that I need to cover up, mm. you know. And, and they really wouldn't engage me with that. Um, they actually, the, the main woman who was talking to me, she actually folded her arms and looked up and said, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to look down there, you know, because I was really challenging. I was like, please, where can I put a piece of tape? Yeah. Please look down here at my genitalia and, and tell me. Yes. And um, I was really kind of challenging them. Um, I'd been talking to them for a while, um, which uh, I must bring up was it's, I'm, I'm a white person, and in this situation, I know that I had a tremendous amount of privilege in doing that. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, if I had been somebody else that, you know, maybe a person of color, maybe even a trans woman. Yes. Okay? Yeah. They would not have tolerated me being out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I took advantage of that privilege to, to really humanize the situation mm-hmm. as much as possible, um, to talk to them, to have them recognize that I am a human, you know, that I deserve uh, an equal say. Yeah. Because the statue had been out there for an entire day. Yeah. Scott Weiner, you know, one of the city supervisors, Ugh. had made sure that that statue was out there for a whole day. Yeah, I saw a photo of him with posing yeah. like that. And he is a hypocrite, isn't he? Oh, good God. Right? Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, well, he, he, he banned, made, yeah. He banned nudity. Yep. And yet he has this depiction of a nude body, which mm-hmm. is fine, which is great. Let's have more nude bodies out in public. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know, but the purpose of that statue wasn't any sort of political statement. No. There's no, there's no statement about this uh, Trump's policies or, you know, his actions uh, in the world. Nothing. Uh, you know, not even really his bigotry, right? Which right. is so apparent. It's, it was all about a depiction of a body yes. that, in decline, and the sculptor, Ginger, thought would be grotesque. Mm-hmm. Okay. And unfortunately, a lot of people went in on that joke. Yeah. Okay. It brought up very base prejudices in people. People who are part of my community, queer people, leftist people, um, fat activists even, 
there was even a fat activist out there who took selfies with with the with the statue. Mm-hmm. So instead of you know living their values of um, mutualism and and considering my uh, that people who are, who are so-called minorities are very much a vital part of that community, you know, uh, queer people, trans people, uh, fat people, etc. What people did instead was they had a very hateful moment of glee. Yeah. Right? And that hateful moment was very impactful on many people. And yes. not just here in San Francisco, yes. not even in our country, but yeah. worldwide. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I, when I first saw that. I feel very emotional about it. Yeah, uh, yeah when I first, first saw the photo, it felt like I was hit, like punched in the gut. Like as a yeah. as a as a trans person that has exactly constantly, all the jokes, yeah, you like know, about small erections and you know people uh, pointing, look at the little thingy, you know, and and whatnot, and um, and then you know on online uh, I saw even friends of mine, fr- friends of mine who were who are feminists, mm-hmm. are queer and trans allies, yep. who are well educated, yep. who I would actually like to date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. like hot queer femmes. Yes. <laughs> uh, they were saying, you know, they were distancing, they were creating distance between um, what I was, uh, my emotions. I was expressing emotions. And so they were creating distance by making it into like logical arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, no, this is about some allegory about the emperor's new clothes. You just don't get it. Mm. You emotional person. Mm-hmm. You emotional person who is impacted yeah. by the message yes. and by the reaction of your community yes. basically shitting on you. Yes. Okay? You emotional person, you know, it, it, it's really dehumanizing when people do that. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, it, you know it's just like when white people were like well i'm not racist yeah you know or the police but are they, but then they support a racist system right right or, or the oh the police haven't harassed me so they're it's more like gaslighting i feel when someone right. says oh look this is a huge problem this is what i go through and other right. people say well this doesn't affect me in this way so therefore they're very dismissive of the right. folks who are right. calling it out right and, right so people weren't weren't listening to me and i was like distraught mm-hmm. i was like oh my god my whole community is going, oh, this is okay. That a body like mine is something that should be reviled, that is disgusting. So it kind of broke something in me. Yeah. And I was like, well, screw it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to show, I am a very private person. I am extremely private. I mean, there's people in my life that, um, you know, that I hadn't told that I was trans, mm. you know, for like 10, 15 years. And, but, you know, and even the people I work for, now they know about it. I yeah. mean, everybody knows about it. Wow. Uh, so, I, I, I'm, I mean, I used to want to be a monk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's no joke. Yeah. I'm actually too poor to be a monk, though. I have student loans. You can't have student loans if you want to be a monk. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. Well, you have to have absolutely no debt. So, and I'm, I'm basically too poor to be a monk. Mm. But I try to be a monk out in the world. Right? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I guess that's my role, to be a monk out in the world. But um, so something kind of broke in me, and I was like, well, screw it. <laughs> I'm going to show my body, and I'm going to 
to show that I love myself and the struggle that I've been through to love myself. And I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I just, as I was taking the BART there, I just kind of thought about manhood. Like, what do I think of my, how do I think of my manhood? Mm -hmm. You know, I've really had to, um, I've had to find mentors in my life, good examples of manhood, um, because I don't want to be just some guy who's going to support the patriarchy. Yes, yes. So I've looked for feminist role models, male and female feminist role models. I've looked for, you know, the fathers that take care of their children, that dote on their children, that take them out to the park, that love on them, you know. Um, I have, you know, I've looked for men who take real responsibility and actually do protect people in their lives without overpowering them. Yeah. Without taking power away from the women. Yes. Yeah. To support them. So that's that's my version of manhood, and it has to do with heart. Mm-hmm. Right. Not violence. It has to do with heart. So I made some signs. You know, my manhood is my heart. My ha- manhood is my courage. And you know, core, which means heart, is part of courage. Yeah, mm. So <laughs> I was being oh. a bit of a word nerd there. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, so that was that was my protest basically. I just want it was it was less of a protest and more of a just a pushback with a really positive message. Yeah, is what I think of it. Yeah, and definitely it brings up a lot too with the idea of manhood and masculinity and what we're taught yeah. it is, and then what because I feel like everyone. You know, there's billions of people on the planet, and everyone has their own. First of all, dividing people into two genders is, I think, a problem in the first place. Right. And then right. beyond that, what masculinity means to different people is, you know, fluid, and it's constantly changing. Right. And the idea, I mean, I felt like in my, with this idea of, I don't want to say becoming a man, I don't, the idea of becoming a man, I don't know, it doesn't seem, that those words don't seem right from my experience, but the idea mm-hmm. of being viewed as male, like, what does that right. mean? And it comes yeah, down it's to tough, right? yeah, it's like it's it, tough, right? It comes because down to when you, yeah, I don't I don't know what your experience of life is, but I've taken testosterone for a really long time. So at a certain point, you stop looking what people would think of as female, and you start looking male. Mm-hmm. And even if internally you're not completely male, let's say, I'm, I'm just talking about my experience here. Yeah. You still like I as the person I am. Even I, even if I don't completely identify as male, for me as the person I am, I have to take responsibility for a lot of what, uh, for a lot of male privilege. Yep. Yes. And a lot of uh, male opp- uh, oppression of other people. Yes. Children of women. Yes. I have to take responsibility of that. I have to. I have to. Um, be cognizant of that and sometimes I'm not and it's really embarrassing and sometimes it's super painful yeah and I'm learning lessons about it all the time yeah and um I just think it's really important to be really open to that yeah uh cisgender men and also trans men yeah um but yeah obviously if you are of a different experience if you're more gender queer mm-hmm. if you don't take testosterone if you know it's a it's a very different experience of life sure yeah i've been on t for about eight years now and it's definitely been 
it's difficult to explain to folks, I think, who haven't um, been through it, I guess, or just to yeah. kind of communicate uh, what, what it feels like to, and it's just, it comes down to our bodies. Like, I feel like I'm a spirit in a body and I live in a, yeah. we live in a material world, not to quote Madonna, but I guess that's not what she was <laughs> talking about exactly. Um, right. but like this idea that it's very based oftentimes on, on the visual and on certain perceptions. And uh, it is interesting to see how people respond to me. Like, especially if I, for instance, there was a, in, at the culture collective in Oakland, they had an exhibition on photographs that were taken to celebrate the Lexington club which is now unfortunately closed mm. and so it was right. mostly it's like a very like largely like queer you know women and female space um at the event and it feels really interesting going into spaces like that where at the time you know i went to the lexington back before i transitioned i you know to not feel quite welcomed into or maybe judged by being in a space that at one time i felt like i belonged in right and yeah to, that's a really complex issue yeah yeah yeah, I know a lot of um, people, you know, who transitioned at the, about the same time I did, who used to be dykes, you know, like total leather, bull dagger, you know, bike riding dykes. And they also transitioned at, at a certain point. It's kind of this, like a little cohort of us. And they had been in like lesbian and women's space and whatnot for a really long time, longer mm -hmm. than I had. Mm -hmm. I had a very sort of tenuous relationship to it uh, because I came out with some separatists mm. who kind of damaged me, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to hang out, out with these kind of women. Yes. So I kind of distanced myself, and I was also bi more bisexual, but and they, they weren't having that as well. But these other trans men I know, like, they had been in that community for decades. Yes. You know? And so it's kind of a complex issue, right? Right, right. Like who who gets to be in certain spaces, and you know, also if you take up space, like for instance, yeah. there's um, the gender stuff is less of an issue for me. Um, but when I think of myself as like a white person mm -hmm. um, and as a Buddhist, mm -hmm. right? I it's very hard for me to find sangha. Sangha means uh, basically kind of a beloved community, you know, in, in Buddhism. So you have the teachings of the Buddha, you have uh, the Buddha's example, and then you have community, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And so it's very hard for me to find Sangha as somebody who's very leftist, mm -hmm. very poor, mm -hmm. and uh, asks too many questions, frankly. Mm. And, uh, but one of the best places I know of is East Bay Meditation Center. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Oh, I love them. I love them so much. They're one of the few places I know of that doesn't engage in horizontal hostility. Mm. That's horizontal a, hostility is I so love, painful. That's a great um, expression. I hadn't heard that before. Yes, yes. Please look it up. It's actually from Feminism of the seven, you know, in the 70s. It comes mm -hmm. out of that. Um, I believe, I believe it comes out of uh, that era. It, it, it basically means that there's, you know, a bunch of infighting between people instead of fighting the, who's oppressing you. Yes. You know, and, oh. you know, definitely we all need to learn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I need to learn stuff. Everybody needs stuff they, that they need to work on. Yeah, I definitely need but, to But we stuff. have to do it with love. Right, right. We have to do it with love, because otherwise we create more alienation 
and people don't learn. Mm-hmm. When they're being punished, they're not, they're not going to learn, mm-hmm. right? And so EBMC, East Bay Meditation Center, they create a situation where they confront problems directly, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely firmly. But then they also do it with such tremendous love with, with the intention of keeping people, mm. right? Yeah. But it's also a place that is, uh, and, and, not but, I'm, I'm trying to use the word and instead of but yeah. uh, these days. Yeah. And they also focus on people of color. Mm. Right. So as a white person coming in there, even yes. though I'm queer and trans and they have a separate song for that, I still want to respect that I don't want to take up too much space there. Right, right. Right. Even though, oh, oh my goodness, I'm knocking on the door. I'm like, oh, you guys are doing the best thing ever. But sometimes uh, white people make the, the uh, mistake of doing that. Like yes. Loving something a little too much. Yes. Being, being in there a little bit too much. Staying yes. a little too much. Yes. Rather than sitting back and listening or maybe supporting in another way, like mm. financially. Yes. You know, or using your skills if you have you know, skills on making a website or marketing or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, sharing resources. Yeah, because white people have tremendous, tremendous privilege. Yes. They have so many resources. Yes. Even myself as a poor person. Yep. I've been well-educated. Yeah. Right? And I have parents who are teachers. Yeah. I'm eloquent. Yeah. You know, I have so much. I have so much, and I can put that to good use. Mm Mm-hmm. So my challenge to people is to put whatever you have to good use, you know, to do it. Yeah, do it. absolutely. <laughs> now is the time. <laughs> I sound like a preacher, don't I? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> nothing wrong with that if you're, you know, you're, you're preaching the truth. <laughs> so I was hoping yeah. we could actually talk a little bit about um, your encounter with the police when you were protesting, if that's okay, if we could go into depth a little bit more with that. Oh, okay. Well, um... Yeah, so that, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> I have a cold that I've been getting, trying to get over, probably because I was standing naked in San Francisco. Yeah. The growing in. Yes. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah, the police. Hmm, when I think of that, it just makes me even, it makes me shake, actually. Yeah, and um, we don't have to go into it if you don't want to discuss it. No, I just no, it's very, fine. Um, I, it's if... fine. I just, uh, I'm just trying to think of what angle I want to sure. describe that. Sure, sure. So, so, I guess, so I'll just talk about it. So it was a Monday, like I said earlier, it was quieter. Um, a community police officer actually uh, came up to me at some point. Um, uh, a local resident of, of uh, the Castro, uh, somebody I would describe as a, like a well-to-do older gay man, mm-hmm. kept harassing me, actually. Mm. Uh, he kept hovering about and saying bad things to me. <sighs> very, very bad things, and um, kind of running up suddenly, and I thought he was actually going to physically assault me. Ugh. And, you know, I'm this soft, naked body out on the hard concrete and getting sunburns, and, you know, I, I was pretty vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, he didn't actually do anything, though, thankfully, but he just kept hovering around, and this was, like, for hours. Um, but anyway, this police, this uh, community police officer um, showed up, and you know, he's not really wearing, like, a uniform or anything. He's just on a bike, and he has some shorts. And he seemed like a real nice guy. At first, he was really 
um, hard with me. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, I'm going to give you five minutes to comply. You need to put your clothes on. Otherwise, I'm going to cite you. Yeah. Right. Very hard. I can't even uh, muster the hardness he had in his voice. Yes, yes. And I said, you know, um, I deserve to be here. Yes. I'm a member of the queer community. Um, I'm here doing a protest. And he said, oh, yeah, I know you are. I know. But so he was pretty dismissive. But then I, I actually talked to him for quite a while. I tried to be really calm. I tried to be really polite. That's, that's, that's who I am. I try to be really polite. Um, actually, interesting in, in, um, enough, I, I kind of won him over. Hmm. You know, I just really put my heart out there. I was, I was probably crying a little bit too. All, this, the, all of these actions were very um, emotional for me. Yes. Um, and I felt like it was okay to show that emotion because I was pretty raw. Yeah. You know? Just deal with it. Look at me. Mm-hmm. Look at my body. Look at what this situation has done to me. Feel it. Yes. You know? um, and he, at the end of that conversation, said, I'm going to give you as much time as possible. Mm. Okay. And I was just like, Wow. I can't believe that, you know, because I'm somebody who, like, in the past is like, fuck the police. Yep. You know, yep. I've been arrested before. Mm-hmm. I used to ha- ride freight trains. and Oh, wow. You know, I mean, I, I was like an anarchist when I was younger. Yeah. I was in a, uh, a lesbian group, uh, a young lesbian group, and we were anarchists. It was called Lil- Lilith's Revenge. Oh, cool. We, oh, we, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, we were in gay pride, like, forever ago. It's like one of the pictures, the only pictures I have where I actually have my boobs out and everything. Um, and I had uh, painted on the front of my chest, not property of the U.S. government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, I got a sunburn, and the oh. sunburn made it say prop U.S. Gov. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So I had that for like six months on my chest. Oh. But, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't so good. But our chant is so lovely, and yes. whenever I think about it, it makes me happy. Yeah. We said... Pussy, pussy, we like to eat them. No government will ever give you freedom. Anyway, oh, yeah. So that's what we said in our gay pride. Right on. And we marched right behind the cops, and we weren't supposed to be there, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, that was a really long time ago. But, you know, I've been in protests before where I'd been arrested, and I'd been targeted by the police. I'd been under surveillance. I used mm. to have, like, you know, three police cars right outside my house every day. I had my phone tapped, I had my mail rifled through, so, you know, and besides all of the, you know, police killing, murdering, and, you know, targeting black people and uh, other people of color, it's just, you know, I want to believe that the police are good, because I actually have had friends who are, who have been in law enforcement, and they have actually complained Mm. about, um, malfeasance about about violence and that sort of thing. Yeah. And they had their lives threatened. Yes, yes. By fellow cops. Yep. Okay. And if cops are going to do that, if cops are going to protect the bad ones, yeah. Then you're not a good cop. Yep. You don't yeah. get to say that you're a good cop. Right. That is not honorable. Yes. You're not protecting the public. You're not meeting the standard. Yes. That you say that you you meet. Yes. Okay. That's not honor. So that's where I'm coming from. Yep. Right? Yes. So I have this conversation with this cop, and I win him over basically with my heart, mm-hmm. with my naked body, and he's like, "Well, yeah, okay, I'll give you as much time as possible." And I was like, "Wow, okay." 
So it gives me about, I, and I'm totally shaking, and I'm totally shaking for the next hour. Okay, he gave me at least an hour. And uh, still the, the guy who had been harassing me, he kind of comes by every once in a while. Um, luckily, there's gay men and, and tourists who are also coming by, and they make me feel a lot better. People were very supportive in general of, of what I was doing. Um, so the police officer comes back, the uh, community police officer, and he says, um, you know, once again, he has to be really hard with me. He said, you know, I have to, I have to give, it to you, give it to you straight, basically. The, I, I can't give you any more time. If you don't put on your um, clothes in the next few minutes, what's going to happen is the regular police are going to come. Um, they are going to request that you put your clothes on. If you don't, you'll be cited. If you don't sign the citation or get dressed, they're going to take you into custody. Mm. And now for me, as somebody with uh, um, a trans body, yes. I, you know, somebody who does have a vagina, but then, you know, a lot of my outward appearance is male. Yeah. And then some, my state ID says I'm male, and, you know, my passport says I'm male, but my birth certificate says I'm female. Yeah, yes. So it's kind of a mixture of things going on. Yes. What are the police going to do with me? Yeah, I can relate right? to that. Yeah. I mean, what are they doing with trans people who are currently in jail? Yeah, yeah, right? Chelsea Manning. Uh, trans women are often put in male spaces. Yeah. A lot of people are put in isolation. Yeah, in solitary. Isolation is absolutely the worst thing you can do to somebody. You know? We are social creatures. We need some contact. Yes, yes. I mean, that whole system is corrupt, and I am completely with... Angela Davis and her work of prison abolition. Yes, same here. Absolutely. Yes. You know, it's a voice out there that we need. We need that voice out there. It's completely radical, and I know it's hard to, to wrap our, our heads around, but we need that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I just heard, I, I don't know if it's true, but there's some uh, protests of prison workers recently. Yeah, there's a strike happening in yeah. like 26, I want to say 26 states. Yeah, I'm so amazed by that. That is incredible, you know. Um, it's, it's basically, you know, protesting against our modern form of slavery. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, anyway, back to, back to my much smaller situation. Um, so the community police officer basically warned me. And then the, um, the dangerous guy came back, uh, and the guy who had been harassing me, and he started complaining really loudly, and like, you know, you need to take him away and blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, he can't be out here. He's naked, you know, just making a big fuss. And so the police officer turned right around and she used words I had just said to him, which mm. is really beautiful. Mm. And he said, you know, this guy, he's here. He's protesting something and he's doing a performance art piece. And mm. he gets to do that. Mm. And then he escorted the dangerous guy off. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite a moment. So I'm, you know, I say fuck the police, but, you know, there is hope. You know, I'm one of those people, maybe it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm an optimist. Yeah. There's, there's little bits of hope out there. There's, there's ways that we can change policing. Yes. You know, more accountability, more models like this that recognize the reality 
of situations, the humanity in situations that use compassion, you know, we can do it. Yeah. We can do this. And also just provide alternatives so we don't even need police in the first place, I think. Yeah, like just community exactly. accountability. Yeah, there's a workshop. Mediation. Yeah. Mediation. Yeah. One of my best friends is a mediator, mm-hmm. and I'm just so proud of him that he does that. Yes, yeah. There's a workshop happening on September 24th that's like how not to call the police ever. And oh, it's going to really? deal, yeah. Well, I'd be interested in that. You should send that to me. Yeah, absolutely. So, I would love that. And it, I would love to, like, show up to something like that. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think there's, like, definitely a lot of, you know, much, you know, valid frustration and anger. And oh, yeah, I, so I really appreciate the folks who are stepping up to create, the, you know, these alternatives for something that we can move on to. Absolutely. Um, and I want to say that my protest and the way that I do things, it, you know, it's very quiet, mm-hmm. but that's just a reflection of, of who I am. Yes. And as somebody who cannot get risk getting arrested, which I hate, it was one of my choices when I transitioned that I, I needed that I, that I couldn't do street protests anymore. Yes. Yes. Right? When you, when you yeah. make big decisions like that, you have to make compromises in, your, it compromises in your life. And that was one of the things that I had to give up. Yeah. But I completely re- support Black Lives Matter. Everything yeah, same. that they've been doing. Same. Every single thing. We need to shut things down. Yep. We cannot have this happening anymore. Yes. You know, their platform that they put up a few weeks ago is amazing. And anybody here who's listening, please look that up. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it focuses on, on Black Lives Matter, on African-American people, but it's for everybody. Yeah. And it's... It will it's, make our entire country, you know, more just. Yeah, and intersectional, so really speaking about women and LGBTQ folks within the black population as well. Yes, Which exactly. is really important. I, I heard a... Um, uh, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter on one of the NPR stations saying that in one of her interviews, she she put that in the forefront. Yes. Talking about the black trans women mm-hmm. who have been uh, basically the victims of serial murders. Yes. I mean, these lovely, lovely creatures. We know these women. Yes. They are such a vital part of the queer community. Yes. Such courageous, beautiful, beautiful people. They're being taken out. Yeah. They're being murdered. They're being minced up. Yeah. Incredible violence. Yes. Is being done to their bodies. Okay. And that's like every day. Yep. They have to deal with that threat. Mm-hmm. Every and day, just I walking just out the door. I just love it that BLM is has put them in the forefront. Yes. Of their message. And I would also call out for like the for you know gay you know LGBTQ folks to when we when you think about Stonewall and Compton's cafeteria riot you know the folks who are leading the riots and the the protests like the reason that there is gay pride today is because of trans women and drag exactly. queens and people of color who are at the forefront who are the ones fighting back against the police violence exactly exactly yeah it's not you know it's not the people who could just go home and drive their car home or whatever it was it was the the uh you know the shadier ladies maybe <laughs> who were hanging out you know they were like we're not gonna put this up with this anymore yeah you know we're gonna throw a bottle back yes so <sighs> yes 
<laughs> and those are the women that I came out with when I was younger um, in Texas. Mm. I was kind of a street urchin, you know. I was living in halfway houses and whatnot, and I would go out on the streets, and people would were very protective of me because they knew that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't all there, frankly. Um, I was, uh, you know, uh, when you're out on the streets, it's, it's, it's kind of a hard life. Mm-hmm. And I would hang out with these black transsexual women who were out on the streets. And, you know, I kind of, you know, they kind of adopted me a little bit. So I love them. They're, they're my mothers as much as anybody else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really important to uh, pay tribute to the, the elders. Um, I, I can't imagine... I just feel really grateful to be in the position, you know, that I'm in certainly right now and to be in the world just and recognize that it's because of the folks who came before who fought these battles that we're able to, that you and I are even able to talk right now. Right. Is, right. is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, older trans men, you know, who transitioned way long before I did, you know, contact me and say that, you know, it's so appreciative of what I'm currently doing. And I'm just like, yeah, I couldn't be doing it if you didn't do it. Yes. If you weren't in those doctor's offices, you know, explaining to the doctors why you needed something, if you didn't go through those years of um, having to live as a man before they would even help you with it. Yeah. You know, going through, um, you know, all the legal stuff, all the paperwork, I mean, all the, all, everything. Right. It, it, I'm not saying that mine was all that easy, but it sure was easier. Yes. And let's, let's hope that it's easier and easier for people, you know, and that people, you know, I love it how, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I love it how actually um, San Francisco in their clinics, they, they do informed consent. Mm-hmm. Right. Basically, they give you the information about it, you know, this is what's going to happen. These are the side effects. This is, you know, how you you need to prepare yourself socially. This is maybe some of, um, you know, some of the bad things, some of the good things, some of the bad things. Yeah. They give you all that information up front, and then you make the decision. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love that. It's so compassionate. It really empowers people, um, you know, because there's such a, a gatekeeping mentality of, oh, we need to protect you from yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need yeah. protection from myself. Right, right. We know ourselves <laughs> need, better than anyone. And we know yeah, our bodies need, better than anyone. Exactly. I know myself. And, you know, I probably need some support around that. Yes, yes. You know, I probably haven't thought about every contingency, like when I'm elderly, what's, what's it going to do to specific things about my body, like my heart health or whatever. But those are things that can be addressed. Mm-hmm. You know, I just need education about that. And I also need health care. I need yes. competence. Yes. Healthcare professionals yeah. who, are, who are going to help me with that. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's. Go ahead. Even here in the Bay Area, I've Mm-mm. had doctors turn me away. Mm. So it's not like it's a done deal. Yep. Oh, yeah. I've yeah also had experiences that, thankfully. I don't know what your experience is with that, but yeah. it's definitely not a done deal here. Yeah. I mean, I lived in New York City while I was beginning the transition and all that. And even at Callan Lord, like, I had. I mean, I was very grateful that that place existed, but there were there were just definitely not all great experiences that I had. So yeah. it was just really upsetting, you know. And sometimes it's 
due to miscommunication, and other times it is due to transphobia. Yeah, and and sometimes it, it you know people mean well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But they're not communicating something. Right. 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 And when you don't actually communicate, then the person cannot make their own decision. Yes. You know, like for instance, I um, when I was in uh, college, you know, I uh, that's when I was transitioning and. People, this, I went out, I, I wrote up a scholarship application. I was, I was trying to get every scholarship I could get. And uh, ironically, I filled one out for a Barry Goldwater scholarship or something. Oh. <laughs> I was just filling them all out. Yeah. I was like, so I'm going to fill them all out. If it's on the list I'm, and, and I qualify for it, I'm going to fill them all out. So I did, <laughs> which is funny, right? Mm-hmm. But, um. So I'm filling out this application, and then I get three of my instructors to write me letters. And I, it was just, it was at that time when I just started testosterone, and I was pretty androgynous, blah, blah, blah. One, one of them wrote that I was, you know, in a female, uh, using she, she and her. Mm-hmm. One of them wrote that I was he, him. Mm-hmm. And the other one, she did not, she, she didn't write any any pronouns at all. She didn't even use they. She just kept huh. saying Shane over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty interesting. I, I was I was a little bit upset, too, because nobody actually asked me. Yes. You know, yeah. It would have been nice if somebody asked me. So there, whoever looked at that application probably was like, this is the strangest application ever. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, I was actually just at a retreat this past weekend called Transmission that was for transmasculine folks and folks along oh, that, yeah, that where's spectrum. That? Um, it was held in Upper Lake, uh, California. So oh, okay. Lake County. Right. Like Saratoga? Yeah. Right yeah. Okay. And it was just a really incredible experience to meet so many people. And there's some folks I'd met before, other folks I was meeting for the first time. And it was really, it felt <coughs> just um, being able to... I won't, you know, divulge too much, but just it felt to be able to connect with folks, kind of like you and I are connecting yeah. right now. There's kind of like a shared language, even though everyone has had their own right. experiences based on, you know, there's so many different components that lead us to become who we are. Um, and then to have this, you know, shared identity in a way um, felt very, it was unlike anything I'd really felt before. Yeah, I've never been to something like that. I, I need to go to something like that at some point. Yeah. I've been to some gay male stuff, and then, you know, I've been to some lesbian stuff and some leather stuff, you know, and, um, I've never been, I've never been to something that's just all, um, you know, trans-masculine. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that would be really cool. Yeah. There's I would also... just love to see, like, all the different bodies. Sure, <laughs> maybe, sure. Maybe it's because I'm a sculptor. I'm a figurative sculptor. Yeah. I just want to see all the variation, all the, you know, I have this friend, she, um, She's kind of typical of, you know, the the kind of person who dies on the streets of San Francisco, unfortunately. Mm. Um, at some point, she got HIV and Hep, Hep C, and she was she was a transmasculine person. I still use she because she never identified as he. Um, she was a cartoonist too. Her name was jo- Johanna Amazon. Some of your um, listeners might remember her very troubled um, and also extremely just beautiful mm-hmm. you know fiery spirit um, and I don't know why I'm talking about her <laughs> well, I just lost her spirit I just came lost up myself in, I just lost myself in the emotion of that yeah <laughs> it was meant to be yeah 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it would be great to go to stuff like that. Yeah, and it, it and it was great too because everyone, you know, people just everyone has their own. You know, there's no right or wrong. There's just people just are who they are, and that's a really beautiful thing to to think about. Because I think I do feel like as a trans person, there's still these expectations placed on us. You know, as how we should look, how we should act, how we should sound, how we should be, and right. to see that it's it's such, there's such a wide range of many many ways to be, and that's true for anyone. You know, cisgender folks, everyone. That there's no one way that we should or should not be. Right. Right. And there's. You know, and, and still, even with our, even within this broad community, which it is a very broad community, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's still a lot of like crappiness too. Sure. You know, I mean, I hate to focus on that for a second, but yeah, I, I have definitely also felt judged for my own body. Yes. Within this, within this community. Yes. Yes. You know, basically, probably because I transitioned later in life. Mm. You know, it wasn't really an option when I was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I've, I've definitely felt some of that. Like, I've had, actually, I remember once somebody asked, asked me to turn around, and I was like, what do you mean, turn around? Uh, and I did, and basically he commented on how wide my hips were and how big my ass was. I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> I just got that from a trans person. Right. Yeah, that's that. Was that, you said earlier, the horizontal hostility? Yes, yes. Yes, that, that's definitely part of that, isn't it? Yeah. And transphobia, you know? Yeah, I, a lot of it's internalized, too. Oh, I, mean, oh, I remembered what I was going to say about Johanna. Yes. So she and I, we, we helped out with a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, conferences when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Power Surge. Some of, some of your listeners might remember Power Surge from uh, the early 90s, 91, 92, and I believe there was one in 95. I, I helped put that on. I, I made the T-shirt and the poster, actually, me and my girlfriend at the time. And uh, Johanna came, came up for that, and it was such a great party, right? But there was a thing where, where um, bisexual women and trans women were very much a part of that community, mm-hmm. And also a, a bunch of the, uh, trans men were starting to transition at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was really um, contentious. Mm. Like, who was welcome and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it was awful because these other people who are not cis and, you know, completely lesbian identified were still part of the community. We yes. were all fucking each other. Yeah. You know, we were all playing. We were all fucking each other. And as Johanna would say... You know, the more freaks at the party, the better the party, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, that's what I always think. The more people that, uh, the more diversity we can have, the, the more we recognize that, you know, our community is really diverse and, you know, appreciate that, the, the better everything gets. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm pretty pooped out at yeah. the moment. <laughs> well, thank you so much for for calling in and yes. for sharing your experience, um, both you know uh, before the the protest and during the protest and then afterwards. Yeah, I felt like we we definitely touched on a lot of topics here. Yes, yes. And I'm glad for it because you know my protest is sort of a singular moment, but it it was it was meant more broadly as well. Yes. Right. Because I feel like our civility has really tanked. 
mm. really gone downhill. Oh, yes. And so, so my little thing was, it, it was meant for me. I did it for myself. Yes. Yeah, I did it for myself. But by doing it, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm elevating our civility just a little bit, just a little bit, just in my own little way. Yeah. And I hope that my continued activism, which is exhausting, by the way, yeah. If, if anybody out there, if you know some hardcore political activists, or if they're in the midst of something, please take good care of them. Get yes. Meals or, yes. Or something. Invite them over to, if you have a sauna or something like that, you know, because it is really exhausting. Um, ask them what you can do for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it is really intense. Uh, yeah, I'm not even going to go into how intense it is, but I've been dealing with a lot, a lot more than is apparent online. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm just going to end it with that. I'm having a, I am having the time of my life, though. Right on. That's... Yeah, I'm really, I feel like I'm using skills that have been laying dormant for a really long time, and I'm so glad that I'm expressing them. Right on. Well, thank you so yeah. much for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you, Roman. Cool. Thank you, Shane. All right. All right. Take, take care. All right. Thank you so much, Shane Brody, for calling in. And uh, if you'd like to see more of uh, Shane's work, Shane is also an artist. Uh, we'll be posting um, a link to um, a site that has more information about him, as well as another interview that he did. Uh, yeah. Ugh, really good conversation. Oh, I feel really warm and fuzzy inside. So we're going to play some more music and then we'll be finishing up the show at the last 20 minutes or so with some more news stories. So taking a break from the um, feminist punk with another song. Well, we'll be getting back to the feminist punk in a little bit, but uh, this song uh, is one of my favorites and I like to play it as often as I can, which is a lot. So enjoy some tunes for a little bit and we'll be back in just a, just a bit. Share just what we feel. The 
I'm Michael Stipe and I support human rights for all people. As an American patriot, it is my duty to stand with Chelsea Manning. After years of mistreatment in prison, she tragically attempted to take her own life. Instead of giving her the treatment that she needs, the government is now threatening her with indefinite solitary confinement. This is unjustifiable, it is unfair, and it needs to be stopped. You can help me stop it now. Sign the petition at freechelsea.com. Spread the word across all platforms. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the weekly review. Ah, I'm feeling pretty good. Sometimes the show has the opposite effect on me, where um, after reading a lot of news stories, I end up feeling pretty heartbroken and depressed and angry and frustrated and sad uh, by the state of the world. And it's really great to talk to folks who are out there being themselves and uh, just to communicate and connect. And because that uh, it makes for me anyway it makes me feel a lot less less powerless and uh just to recognize there are so many people out there who are really standing up to things that are that are you know putting us down and uh, feels really good 
so thank you to Shane and for everyone, all the activists out there, past and present, um, who have put their bodies on the line, who have done um, more than they thought they could do to make things better for the rest of us. Uh, un- undying gratitude. Ah, <sighs> yes. So, ah, that last song uh, <laughs> should say we dedicate to Brock Turner. It's called "Dead Man." don't rape uh so that's by seven year bitch um it was also from the list on pitchfork of awesome feminist punk songs and it's true dead men don't rape before that there's a a little psa from michael stipe i'm a huge rem fan i i think they're great and uh michael stipe from rem with a short message about supporting chelsea manning so you can go to, uh, I think it's Free Chelsea was what he said, Free Chelsea, um, to sign on for petition. You can also, so, so Chelsea's been in solitary confinement, which is fucked. And also, if we're going to really look at um, what's, you, you know, the wrong, you know, what's wrong is that Chelsea, who, uh, another whistle, you know, whistleblower, um, she was in prison for being a whistleblower for saying that civilians were being killed and the person who was killing the civilians uh, they're, you know, still free, which is, I think says a lot. So yes, you can go to freechelsea.com and there's a lot, there's also the uh, chelseamanning.org, which is the Chelsea Manning support network. Um, yes. Uh, th- yeah. And that kind of goes into a lot of the themes on the show, which of course is, you know, the abuse by authority, um, we're prison abolitionists here and by we, I mean, well, lots, lots of us, but I can speak for myself, but on the show, definitely a prison abolitionist show um and then also just to kind of deconstruct the military industrial complex which has taken lives um across the world for (sighs) too long and we need to stop funding the military how about that how about we uh take care of people instead of destroying people i think that's a novel idea okay so and then before that was the village people with i am what i am (laughs) this is a great song a really feel good song so uh the next couple stories i'll be getting to before we end up the show is uh from nationofchange.org and this came out on the 9th so this came out last friday Uh, thousands of inmates in state and federal prisons in up to 24 states are planning an organized strike and protest on friday so this was last week potentially the largest prison strike in u.s history Planned for the anniversary of the Attica prison riot, the protest aims to bring widespread attention to inhumane living conditions, slave-like labor, and daily injustices that plague the shadowy cell blocks of the justice system. Across the country, it's common practice for American inmates to be forced to work in slave-like conditions, doing long hours of hard labor with little or no compensation, and they've had enough. Though the strike on Friday, as planned, is the largest yet, the national prison work stoppage comes after a long, largely unreported buildup in collective action among America's prisoners protesting these conditions. In 2010, thousands of inmates at 10 different facilities throughout Georgia refused to leave their cells to protest unpaid labor, which is the standard in Georgia. They demanded wages for their work, along with other grievances around education, communication with their families, meals, and solitary confinement. In 2011 and 2012, prisoners in California, Virginia, Georgia, and North Carolina waged hunger strikes. In 2013, in Northern California, nearly 30,000 prisoners went on a mass hunger strike. 
throughout 2014 and 2015, planned work stoppages, hunger strikes, and riots happened in prisons in Alabama, Illinois, Washington, Georgia, Texas, Kansas, Arizona, and Utah. The movement accelerated this year. In March, thousands of inmates in Michigan launched a hunger strike over the deplorable quality of their food, a strike which quickly spread to two other facilities in the state. In April, inmates in Texas participated in a mass strike protesting health care costs, inability to credit work time towards their parole, minimal compensation, and extreme, sometimes deadly heat. They refused to leave their cell, stopping their normal production of goods, including mattresses, shoes, furniture, and textiles. Then, in May, hundreds of prisoners in Alabama declined to work. Normally, they made license plates and bedding, and worked in recycling and canning factories for a pittance of 17 to 30 cents an hour. And in June, prisoners in Wisconsin staged a hunger strike against solitary confinement. While these actions seemed disconnected on their surface, the movement has become more and more organized as the momentum grew, culminating in the mass work stoppage planned for September 9th. Because of the sheer number of states and facilities that are taking part in the event, the specific grievances and the tactics planned to bring attention to them vary. In some southern states, the prisoners are protesting excess heat. In Texas, for instance, the temperature in prison cells without air conditioning reportedly rises up to a deadly 150 degrees Fahrenheit. Inmates in Wisconsin and Ohio are protesting indefinite solitary confinement, as prisons across the country have been documented forcing inmates to drink contaminated water and eat rotten food. Some protests will seek to call attention to the food and drink served to prisoners, often by private contractors who profit off the deal. In Michigan, a prison food vendor served inmates refrigerated meat, trash, and rat saliva. The, repl the replacement wasn't much better. But one grievance is common to all the prisoners, unpaid or poorly paid prison labor. Prisoners make traffic signs. They make license plates. They make sheet metal. They work in shoe shops. Prisoners do all kinds of things, and they're not being paid for it. Sadiq Hassan, a self-described revolutionary, previously told Think Progress's Kamira uh, Karima Towns by phone from Ohio's Supermax prison. These corporations come to the prison and get contracts with them and, cheap, and get cheap labor so they don't have to pay traditional workers. Prisoners get no social security. They get no overtime. The Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, IWOC, a project started by Industrial Workers of the World, IWW, which is helping to coordinate the work stoppage, describes the strike as a call to action against slavery in America. It's not hyperbole. Thanks to a loophole in the 13th Amendment, prisoners are explicitly exempt from the ban on slavery in the United States. In some states, prisoners aren't paid for their labor at all. In others, they're paid pennies per hour, too little to be able to cover what the prison charged them for phone calls, commis commissary items, or medical attention. Prison authorities claim the work is rehabilitative and builds prisoners' skills. However, the cheap or free labor also feeds into a multi-billion dollar industry. Corporations contract with prisons, which then receive large kickbacks to make products for far cheaper labor costs than they can legally get anywhere else. They then sell the products for market value. McDonald's, Walmart, Victoria's Secret and the U.S. military have all used prison labor and made huge profits. 
States also save millions by employing inmates for little or no pay who do most of the work of upkeep of prisons themselves. Now prisons have had enough, prisoners have had enough, and are demanding fair pay for their labor. In, in conjunction with the buildup and the work stoppage, protests, actions, and demonstrations on the outside have been happening across America, attempting to bring attention to the injustice and the movement to stop it. Prison labor makes billions for America's corporations, so while the strike may be happening behind prison walls, its effects could ripple up through Wall Street if sustained long enough. Prison impacts everyone, asserts a statement from the IWOC. When we stand up and refuse on September 9th, 2016, we need to know our friends, families, and allies on the outside will have our backs. This spring and summer will be seasons of organizing, of spreading the word, building the networks of solidarity, and showing that we're serious and what we're capable of. Uh, as information emerges about the National Work Stoppage, this post will be updated. So again, you can read this article in full at uh, nationofchange.org. And uh, there, let's see. And the author of this article is Laurel Raymond. And we can, it came out on September 9th, 2016. So thank you, Laurel Raymond, for, for writing this and uh, for all the prisoners who are taking part in this and spreading the word. Uh, and there was a, an action that was, um, that happened in support of the imprisoned workers. And I'll play a little video uh, to go along with that. And, and I'll speak about that in a moment. And here we go. You want to tell us your name and what group you're with? Yeah, my name is Cole Dorsey, and I'm with the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. And tell us a little bit about what's going on here. So today is the uh, day after the September 9th nationwide prisoner strike called all over the country, initiated by prisoners. And uh, today we have on a march and rally in solidarity with the prisoners that have uh, decided to stop work throughout the country on the 45th anniversary of the I was going to say, why September 9th? Yeah, so that's the, yesterday was the 45th anniversary of the uprising at Attica, where a thousand inmates rose up against their captors, and they uh, took over the prison. As you see, the, the, the uh, inmates or the guards came down, came down hard, killed their own uh, guards just to uh, end the prison strike, but it was able to create a national discussion on prison conditions and the fact of how we house prisoners and how we treat the people that are incarcerated in this country. What we've seen since then is only mass incarceration and it now used for uh, big companies like Bank of America, ExxonMobil, and things like that to gain millions of dollars as opposed to uh, rehabilitation or anything that they claim it might be. One last question. How do you see the role of prisoners as far as the struggle against capitalism itself? Yeah, right. Well, we see that these companies are not only outsourcing to, to China and Mexico and these other companies, but they're outsourcing right in this country. So they can uh, use that to keep workers on the outside docile. So if you're going to fight for a union at AT&T, per se, then what we'll do in terms is threaten you to uh, use these prisoners and pay them 40 cents an hour or whatever it might be. So it's important that uh, across the working class, people on the inside and the outside work together through solidarity. And through that, through that solidarity, we'll be able to take these collective direct actions like it happened on September 9th and be able to confront capital in a major way in this country. That's the goal. They can make any laws they want, but they will never be as strong as class solidarity. On September 9th, 1971, Attica the world. We heard a recorded message from two prisoners in the Free Alabama Movement down in Alabama. 
has to get away from um, piecemeal struggling and look at the entire picture of, of all of the struggles that are going on in this country and bring them together from the one umbrella. Always keep this thing in mind that Attica was one prison and the, the spirit and the demonstration that took place in Attica prison, it changed the entire country. So we understand that it doesn't have to be in Alabama. It doesn't have to be in Texas. It doesn't have to be in Florida. It can be in any one prison around the country where the demonstration and the spirit is strong enough to carry the rest out of people. So I'm going to read this last article, and then we'll be wrapping up the show. Stay tuned. Uh, up next will be Women's Magazine with Global Val. So this article comes from itsgoingdown.org, and there's a lot of great information on this site. So Oakland 300 take to the, sti- take to the streets to target corporations profiting from prison slavery. And this article came out on September 11th, 2016, submitted to It's Going Down. 300 people took part in the march in a march, rally, and demonstration in solidarity with the ongoing hashtag prison strike happening across U.S. prisons, jails, and detention facilities in Oakland, California on Saturday, September 10th. People gathered at 1 p.m. at Latham Square in downtown Oakland and held banners, signs, and red and black flags. Several speakers addressed the crowd. Uh, the first a formerly incarcerated member of the Industrial Workers of the World and the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee gave a speech discussing the cause of the strike, the need for class solidarity, and the revolutionary potential of these events moving beyond making just demands. From the speech, 45 years ago yesterday was the anniversary of the Attica uprising. Over a thousand prisoners rose up against their captors two weeks after guards executed George Jackson in San Quentin, who was an outspoken black revolutionary that called for prisoners to be unionized. A major point we want to address here is that slavery never ended in this country. It says so in the 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime. Instead of private ownership of slaves, the state has now the state now has control and calls them prisoners. Some prisoners have a list of demands while the original call calls for all prisoners to go on strike and cease reproducing the institutions of your confinement. We have a saying, it's the fights themselves, like the drill of an army that prepares the workers for even great victories and success. So while prisoners may negotiate for a specific end to the strike, let it be clear, this is a revolutionary movement. We should use this day and this strike as a stepping stone to continued collective direct actions against the state and white supremacy. Solidarity amongst all members of the working class, both inside and out of prison, into a general strike could rid us of capitalism and build a society based on our interests. Whose goal is to see smoke rise from the ashes of every empty state and federal prison, every immigrant and juvenile detention center in the whole country? 
The next speaker, a Black Lives Matter organizer from Illinois, spoke about the history and the impact of the Attica uprising and put the strike in a context of the ongoing black liberation movement from their speech. I believe that for freedom to truly exist in this world, all of us must be accounted for and present in this constant struggle. From black folks to our trans and queer family to Palestine, no one is free until we all are. This includes our incarcerated family that have faced generations of constant violence at the hands of a punitive and unjust criminal justice system. We have seen time and time again the results of incarceration. Broken homes and torn relationships, babies growing up without fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers. We have seen within black communities, both locally and nationally, the slaughtering of dreams, both potential and realized. We have no more room for incarceration. We have no more room for despair. Now 45 years after Attica, we stand with our family from the Free Alabama Movement, my home state, and other organization and incarcerated people around the nation and world as they fight the economic injustice and neo-slavery wages in which they have been subject to. We stand with them against mass incarceration and we vehemently oppose to the capitalist servitude of people in prison uh, through the prison industrial complex. It simply cannot continue to sustain itself and with the added pressure of mass resistance from both inside and outside the prison walls, we must remain steadfast in our stance of complete abolishment and a complete radical restructuring of this system, which includes comprehensive alternatives to the current racialized and sexualized violence that incarcerated men, women, trans and queer people face daily. I bring, this in, I bring into this space George Jackson, a prison radical, scholar, and revolutionary that rebelled against the social order gave his life on August 21st, 1971. He once said, now with the living conditions deteriorating and with the sure knowledge that we are all slated for destruction, we have been transformed into an implacable army of liberation. What a time to be involved in the structuring of an army dedicated to true freedom for all. Next up, a local attorney and organizer discussed the prison hunger strike in California a few years back against solitary confinement and put the prison strike in a broader context of ongoing prisoner resistance. After the last speaker had, fi had finished, recordings from two members of the Free Alabama Movement recorded specially for the demonstration in Oakland were played for the crowd. The voices were none other than Melvin Ray and Kinetic Justice, two of the founders and main organizers of FAM. Grabbing banners, flags, and signs, people then took to the streets and marched through the downtown to several corporations that profit from prison labor. The first was AT&T, and a local speaker discussed how, starting in the 1990s, the company began laying off large amounts of unionized workers, members of the CWA union, and replacing them with prison slaves. In many ways, this cuts to the heart of the matter in regards to white supremacy and its use as a blinder to white workers through a cross-class relationship with elites. By supporting a law and order agenda that sees incarceration as a solution to unemployment, poverty, and the loss of jobs, workers of all colors have been shooting themselves in the foot and ensuring that jobs are taken from them and wages stay low. And they also have a photo here from UPS, outside UPS. UPS has 216 contracts with federal prison system, $2.38 million contract moving prisoners' belongings. And there's also photos of queers against prisons. 
Uh, not surprisingly, in this election, both poor black people and immigrants are presented as the central threat to working and middle-class white workers. Calls for more police and prisons are promoted as a remedy to crime, which is constantly dropping, as well as mass protest and rioting against the police. Trump promotes the idea of building an even more massive wall with Mexico, and the Democrats have already been busy carrying out mass deportations, which ensure that migrant workers remain uh, too afraid to organize. These policies have led to the growth of prisons as a means of containment and a new plantation system that generates massive amounts of profit. The social impact of this reality is deafening, as millions of people in the U.S. are now incarcerated or locked within probation, parole, house arrest, or in a detention facility. The march then continued to UPS, where more statements were read. Graffiti and stickers also started to go up at the storefronts of these businesses. The march then headed to Bank of America, where the role of the financial giant were, was discussed over the sound system and a statement from the Free Alabama Movement was also played. Large amounts of graffiti messages went up on the windows of the bank. The ATM was rendered useless, the sign was broken to read, Ban America, and several windows were broken. During this time, the crowd remained very calm. Police kept their distance, and streets in front of the bank remained blocked for about 20 minutes. A mother with her family who wanted to leave leave in who wanted to leave um, in her when the crowd converged around the bank was given a path and allowed to safely exist or exit all right a person in all black uh, with a mask helped clear a path and stated calmly to the kids who looked out the window as their mother drove past remember what you see here today while giving a raised fist and they have a photo here outside of the Bank of America building. They've removed the K from bank, so it just says Ban America. And below it, uh, in graffiti, says, Destroy All Prisons. Upon leaving Bank of America, a squad of riot police uh, arrived, and the crowd immediately began chanting, Celeste Guapi, leading to a team of loaders who were working to bust up in LMAOs. The chant was in reference to the, at the time, 17-year-old sex worker who exchanged sex for legal protection from the police. The scandal, which has led to the successive resignation of several police chiefs, has grown and, and grown to include officers and several, in several neighboring cities, was a huge embarrassment for the department, which is still reeling from many others, including the sharing of confidential information outside of the department and leaked racial text messages. According to OPD's own laws, the officers that had sex with Guap committed rape and engaged in human trafficking, which is sickeningly ironic considering OPD's pride at fighting underage sex work and human trafficking and Oakland's steadfast attacks on, on sex workers. For instance, several years ago, Oakland made it a law that landlords must evict sex workers. <sighs> While the mayor of Oakland, Libby Schaff, has been predictably quick to attack the frat house culture of the OPD, the Oakland city government was also quick to try and hide the scandal before it could get out to the public. For anarchists, the scandal has simply illustrated the blatant hypocrisy and corruption within government structures and modern police forces. This is not a problem of bad apples, but instead a problem of functioning, a problem uh, but instead a system functioning in a way that protects power and privilege for some and enclosing and curtailing them for others. All attempts by the OPD to paint a picture of fighting crime or saving children is a total shit show. 
the cops are the real monsters. Needless to say, respect and confidence in the police is currently at an all-time low due to the sex scandal. The tenor of nation perception of police in the U.S., as well as continuous police killings and acts of brutality locally, such as the recent railroading of East Oakland resident Omar Shakir in late July, who was swept up by OPD in a raid on his home after being mistaken for someone who had shot at the police. Police are also very much on edge in regards to the current scandals and are keen to have a place, have in place a command structure and established hierarchy. Soon after the large group left Bank of America, they put this in play as a snatch squad team went after three individuals and targeted them from uh, targeted them for arrest, leading to a clash between demonstrators and the police. The, then, police loaded the three comrades into vans, but then proceeded to have a hard time leaving the area as rocks were hurtled toward the vans, clashes broke out with the cops, and the crowd followed the vehicles until it made its way back onto the main road. It is important to pause here and remember that the mask that masking up in a demonstration is not a fail-safe protection from arrest, even if police were not directly present. Based on their availability to target certain individuals, it seems clear that undercovers were in the crowd, which we should always assume, and pointed people out to the cops. Future participants should always keep this in mind, and people should remember the importance of de-blocking and certain actions in order to transition away from more active combativeness into simply marching. We should also keep in mind the mentality of the police when they carry out these actions is not always to get the bad guy meaning such arrests often cut the crowd in half, cause, cause us to stop what we are doing and also derail the action. Let's keep all of this in mind as we continue to, to, as we continue and train, discuss, and better ourselves and our tactics. There's a sign, uh, end prison slavery and white supremacy. Uh, once the police had left, the crowd then marched back onto, the, on, onto a main street, Broadway, and attempted to march to the jail. Upon arriving on 10th Street, the crowd found that police had put up riot barricades and staged a line, pushing the, cr- 